This is Sam Saxon. Along with Professor Joff Deroot. And you're listening to Tales Unveiled. Where we travel across Oklahoma for ghost stories. As well as urban legends and local history. Picking up from where we left off in the previous episode about Fort Washita, Brianna Teal set up her next story. What's the story here at this bridge? That is a pretty spooky one. Um, As you've found out through what we've already been talking about, uh, we have a lot of reenactors show up here throughout the year. And years ago, the men would engage in what they called night battles. And uh, after hours, they would just go out and have, have some fun. And there was a group of guys that got together and said, hey, we're you know, kind of going to we're going to play some G.I. Joe. We're going to play war a little bit. And um, these two reenactors decided, hey, let's go down to the bridge. You know, it's, it's well covered up. It's and we could be well hidden and we could hide and we could ambush the other guys from down at the bridge. And so that's what they did. They they went to the bridge. They found themselves a spot. They hunkered down and they waited. And they waited and they waited some more. And the night got chilly, got darker, got colder, and no one came to the bridge. So they thought, well, you know, this is pointless. We would so much rather be back at the barracks. We want to be sitting in front of a warm fire. We want to be enjoying a hot cup of coffee. You know, we don't want to be here. And they were just about ready to give up. They were just about ready to go back. And they saw this glow. It was this glow, and it was coming from the distant. And they thought, now's our chance. We're going to have some fun. Well, the glow got closer, and they didn't hear tromping of feet. They didn't hear sabers clinking. They didn't hear, you know, men talking. They didn't hear anything that sounded like other reenactors. They just saw this glow, and it was just bobbing, and it was coming down to the bridge at them. And they started getting a little freaked out. And as it got closer and closer and closer, they realized it was a woman. Oh, well... She's the wife of of some guy, and um, she's come down here, and she's going to spoil our fun. We're just going to chew her out. We're going to send her back to camp. We're we're not going to mess with this. Well, she got a little closer, and they thought, you know, maybe she's lost. Maybe she's never been to an event out here. Maybe she's lost her camp. She was visiting some friends. She doesn't know where she's going. We really have no reason to be rude to her, Um, so we'll just politely tell her where she needs to go and send her about her business and then go back to what we were doing. Uh, So they waited for her to get a little closer so that they could speak with her. And it was that she got to one end of the bridge and they were at the other. They realized she had no feet. She had no feet. She was floating. And they didn't know her. They could see right through her. And they hightailed it back to the barracks as quickly as possible. They wouldn't come back down to the bridge. Not if you paid them. They wanted no more. No more to do with that. Um, One year as we were telling the story, uh, we had a very small group. And so our storyteller could make out individual faces. You know, they were all just gathered around the bridge and he could see all their faces. And there was an older gentleman and he was kind of hanging back and he had a look of concern. He was uneasy. And um, at the end of the story, um, this elderly gentleman came up to our storyteller and said, um, 
that woman with the lantern, she's, she's real. I've seen her. And he proceeded to talk about when he was a little boy that his grandparents lived here and they lived in what is now the, um, what is the chaplain's quarters, what is now our museum. And one evening when he was staying with his grandparents, their dog started barking and yelping and carrying on. And he finally got out of bed and he came into the living area and he saw his grandfather. And his grandfather was standing by the window and he had a shotgun in his hands. And this little boy just thought, what's going on? And, and he said, grandfather, what's, what's this? What, what, are you, what are you doing? And his grandfather replied, never mind, son. You need to go to bed. So he, he went about. He was going to go back to bed. But it was then that the dog started howling. They were carrying on even worse, worse than ever. And both grandfather and grandson, they just flew to the window and they peered outside. What they saw was a woman. She was carrying a lantern and she was floating about the grounds. And he said, you know, grandfather, who's this woman? Who's she? And... The grandfather replied, Never mind, son. Go to bed. Have you experienced anything personally? Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately. I don't know if you believe in ghosts, you might think fortunately. If you don't, then it's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> it's definitely something to be seen. Um, I'm a skeptic, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I don't want to believe in it unless I can see it, unless I know that it's real, it's tangible. Um, so I, I come out here all the time, and I'm never spooked by anything. I go down to the bridge by myself. I don't have a lantern with me and I wait down at the bridge for 20 minutes for the group to come down and I'm by myself. I mean, there's nothing. I've The only thing that has ever scared me was an armadillo decided to walk past me and I almost punted him. But, you know, other than that, nothing, nothing really gets to me. And about two years ago, I was getting ready to tell my story and the group had already made their way down to the bridge and I've got Michael and he's standing to my right. The group is about 30 something people and they're all in front of me. There's two volunteers to my left. And just as I'm about to say, hello, my name is Brianna. Can everyone hear me? The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I felt like someone was standing right behind me and something whispered in my right ear. It was unintelligible. I don't know what it said. It was just like a And it wasn't a bug. You know, I know what it's like, you know, if a bug flies in your ear, it wasn't that. And I really didn't know what to do. And I guess my eyes got really big. And I immediately looked at Michael and I said, did you hear that? I didn't say, did you say something? I said, did you hear that? And of course he's looking at me deer in the headlights going, um, what? <laughs> That's when I proceeded to say, did you say something to me? Obviously, he did not. I'm looking over my shoulder. Well, no one's behind me. They would have to walk over the bridge, and you can hear anyone coming across that bridge. So I'm just kind of standing there, just awestruck. I don't really know what to do. And the volunteer to my left is like, are you okay? 
and I've got 30 something people looking at me and they're all confused. They're like, is this part of the show? Are you, what's going on? And that's when I told them something just whispered at me. Well, what did it say? I have no idea. I really don't want to know what it was saying. I just know that something whispered at me. Well, you, you know that instance that you get when you hear or see something that you can't believe or someone says you look like you've turned white. I can actually say without a doubt Bree's skin turned a different shade and her eyes are about the size of golf balls and she was looking at me like in complete shock. So it, it, when you have someone stand there without with legitimacy and say that someone hurts them, and it's interesting that you mentioned that Bree because that exact same night about two tours before that or I think, I don't know if it was before that or after that because I... I had to muster the courage to go back down there. I'm 6'3 and 280, and there's not a lot that scares me either. But uh, whenever you have your own experience down here, it's pretty authentic because there's a lot, a lot of people like there, there's been stories down there of people being pushed and pulled near the bridge or having rocks thrown at them and things like that. And so I'm kind of shocked, Bree, that you've done this enough and you've done enough tours and you've been here long enough to ha only have something like that happen to you. And I was in the very same, I was in this tour group. Um, I brought people, like he, she says, I bring people down to her so she can do her story. And I, I do that, our story, like you heard earlier, and then I bring them down to her. Well, I had a group of kids behind me, and they were kind of straggling a little bit. So they were probably maybe 30 yards behind me with a group kind of trying to catch up with lanterns. And I got debris, and what I would do is I'll come down there and put the lantern at the end of the bridge so they don't trample over her because she's going to stand in the middle and come to them and tell them the story so she they can hear her and no one stands behind her. Well, like she said, there's kind of a drop-off on that bridge and a barbed wire fence, and there's nothing really can get over there. I mean, that's like, almost like what feels like it's off the property. Mm -hmm. And I went down there, and I put the lantern down like I normally do. Well, I counterbalanced and swung my left arm behind me and swung my right arm out in front to put the lantern at the edge of the bridge. And as soon as I did that, I felt, I, I know for a fact, I, I felt two fingers on the top of my hand and a thumb in my palm, and it squeezed like it was a handshake. And I immediately stopped what I was doing, and Bree hadn't gotten there yet, and I kind of swung around to my left and looked, and I'm seeing darkness and a barbed wire fence and trees. There's nothing else there. The closest people to me, I turned right back around to my right, and here's these kids just now walking up to me. And so I kind of a little bit shocked, and I went to back to the edge of the group where the trailers were that they actually followed the people down there, another part of the tour group. I'm like, I'm going to go back up to the hill right now. And I came up here and told Jim and everybody I, I, could, <laughs> I could possibly talk to him, like, there's something down there, and it grabbed my <laughs> So, I was a, needless to say, I was a little bit shocked, but I mean, it it's it was very distinct. It was a very firm, almost like felt like a firm handshake, and I'm like, yeah, okay, that was nice. At least it didn't push me or pull me <laughs> or do anything else mean. So, but it was just to let me know. I think kind of like I'm here, you know. I'm like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> I think I was okay after that. Well, and you know, just up the road from the bridge is our Confederate cemetery. And it's, it's just a mass grave. It's a mass grave with a flagpole and a monument. Um, there's only one tombstone. It's um, for a merchant who lived in Hatsborough. His last name was Kingsbury. And whenever he passed away, they brought him back uh, to, to the Post Cemetery. Um, well, we have a volunteer. His name is Kyle. And he usually helps us with these events. And I wish he could be here today. Uh, but he... <laughs> he had the scare of his life because he saw the lantern. He saw it. It was out in the woods, and it was where, as Michael was describing, you really don't want to tromp around. Like, once you pass the barbed wire, no one wants to go out and do that because it's just thorns and ugh, and you don't know what you're going to be getting into. And he saw light. 
and it was coming from the woods and he really didn't know what to make of himself. Um, he spends his time at the Confederate cemetery and he waits for the group to get to him and he as well as a few other volunteers, they have gotten that very eerie feeling like something has been there. Another volunteer could have sworn that he saw a shape. It was a shape and it was just standing off to the side of the cemetery. Um, he couldn't really tell if it was wearing a uniform or not, but it kind of it set off that vibe and he really didn't know what to do with himself because they're just standing there. The, the group is coming to them. They can't just hightail it. And so they're, they're just standing there going, what did we just see? We also get a lot of photos down at the bridge. What do they show? One in particular is of three girls and they're all standing side by side and how many hands do you have usually two usually two yeah unless you're an alien um three girls they got two hands each so that's six hands in total correct there's eight in the photo and they don't look like young lady dainty hands. They look like gnarled, grizzly, old lady witch hands. And no one can explain that. But it does seem to match the description of the woman with the lantern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also orbs. I don't know if you believe in orbs, um, but just about any photo taken at the bridge. You've got dozens and dozens and dozens. There's one of me standing in front of the flagpole, and I've got just this glowing light, and it's just above me. It's just hanging in the air above me. From the bridge, the ghost tour would walk back up the hill and pass by the stickball post for the next tale. Well... This particular object, um, this is a pole used for playing stickball, um, which is a really fun game. And sometimes whenever I'm waiting for a group, I don't go all the way down to the bridge. I'll kind of hang back and I'll try to, I'll watch the lanterns and I'll try to time it just right so that I get down there and I'm not just waiting, constantly waiting. And that's what I was doing one year is I was just standing on the road and I was just watching the lanterns and I was just waiting to see them start start going down the road. And I was the only one on that particular side of the Fort property. Um, I was just standing down there by myself and I started hearing like this ka-chink, 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 ka-chink sound. And if you've ever been around a reenactor who's wearing a saber belt, um, it just, it hits their thigh. You, it can't help but hit your thigh whenever you're walking. And so that's what it reminded me of was that ka-chink, ka-chink, ka-chink as someone is coming down to visit me. Well, my boyfriend was not there. Normally he, he wears a saber. He was not there at the time. Kyle was not wearing a saber. There was only one other volunteer wearing a saber and he was at the other end of the fort property. And I'm not a genius, but I know that sound doesn't travel that way and it was coming from the woods behind me. Ken Golding came back to the room with some typed out papers for a story that happened during a rendezvous. I first asked him to describe this rendezvous event, which he explained as like a historical reenactment of a big trade gathering. This, uh, this one incident takes place here during a rendezvous. It's been about, uh, I think about four years ago now. And uh, 
I was working with the sheriff's department and Jim, I've, I've been working with Jim now for quite a while and uh, just, just as a volunteer out here. And Jim has always asked, and he didn't have to, but he's always asked if I could come out and help do security during the rendezvous and some of the other events and stuff. And, and I, I love doing it. I love coming out here. But one night, it's about two o'clock in the morning, I'd been out here probably about, I don't know, since about three o'clock in the afternoon. And I was gonna spend the night. And I was in my vehicle. And I was parked up here near near the old barracks. This is uh, just, be just, before, just before they burnt down, I believe. And so I'm sitting there, I got a few little campfires going. There's tents scattered down through the park. And I'm sitting there and I've got the radio on and, and I'm pretty relaxed and I'm getting kind of sleepy and I start hearing uh, horses. And I knew that there was uh, about four horses down in the stables. Some of the cavalry units reenactors were down here. And I thought, oh, this is pretty neat. They're gonna do something tonight. They're gonna get out and ride around a little bit. Well, I started hearing horses, and then, then I heard uh, a, a little voice, and I couldn't make out what they were saying. And I heard some rattling, a little bit of rattling, and I thought, okay. So I got, they got closer, and they were probably about three car lengths from me when I really got a good look at them. And it was two, two guys on horses, and they looked like they were dressed up kind of like officers. And so they stopped a little ways from me, right on what is, what is the military road out here. And so I sat there and I thought, this is really cool. I've never, never got to see these guys get out and really do anything. Well, in a couple minutes, I mean, a couple minutes went by and it, then I heard some more and there was four horses come up from, from the uh, east and come up to the top of the, or from the west, pardon me, up to the top of the hill. Well, they rode up and they stopped with the other two gentlemen on horseback. There was a couple words exchanged, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. And then the two the two officers or whatever they were spun around and they, they started going to the south. Well, there was six horses all heading to the south and I'm thinking somebody's gonna have some fun tonight. They're gonna go shake up some of these folks. And they kept going south. And they went out of sight. There's a problem with that. There's a fence down there just about uh, 75 yards and then there's a road and they didn't, I don't know where they went. It mm -hmm. shook me up. I sat there for a second or two and I thought, what the heck did I just see? And I started, pulled my phone out and I started to call Jim and say, Jim, you need to get up here because I'm going home. I mean, I, it kind of rattled me a little bit. And, I, and then I sat there and I thought, well, I'm not hurt. Nothing hurt me, but this was so cool. And about that time, there was one of the, one of the guys that was camping out here doing a rendezvous. He was wearing his all buckskins. He comes walking up and he walks up to my pickup because I got my park lights on. He walks up and he says, that was cool. And I said, did you see where they went? And he said, no. He said, I lost them after they just started walking away from you. I said, dude, that's what, they didn't go left. They didn't go right. They just got, they're just gone. And so we stood there and talked a little bit. Well, a little bit later, Mike comes walking up the hill, the gentleman that was just here. 
and I'm telling Mike about it. And so he goes down later, I think he goes down and talks to one of the cavalry guys down there. And they come back up there and there they're going, dude, we didn't, we didn't, nobody went out last night. We've only got four horses. And so that, that was, that for me, that was, that was probably the grand finale of everything that's really happened. But there's been some other interesting stuff too. What else? Well, down here at the Bohannon cabin, uh, Steve, uh, can I say yeah. any names? All right. One of the gentlemen that had been doing ghost stories here for about 20 some odd years, Steve Abolt, awesome guy. He does a real wonderful job telling stories. Well, he's here. It's like the third night. May I think it may be the third tour going around that night. And we're at the Bohannon cabin. And Steve is standing up at the door on the west end of the building, and he's telling about how the old door used to be hard to open up. It made a hard squeaking noise, and it would pop open. And while he's doing that, he's, he grabs the doorknob, and he tries to pull the door open. Well, it, it wouldn't come. Well, so somebody went around and looked in the window. And when they did, they saw that the broom had fell up against the door from the wall, up against the door, and was laying between the door handle and the, and the door frame. So it wouldn't open up to the outside. Well, we had to go around to the other side, move the broom, stand it back up, and, and then Steve went on and we did the story. The next night, about the second tour, he was at the same point in his story and he started to open the door and when he when he started to pull the door open there were people looking in the windows because you know there's furniture in there and a few things and they're 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 wanting to see when he started to pull the door open the broom flew from the from the near the wall where it was at across the room and landed up in the far corner near the ceiling and it fell to the floor it shook everybody up. The people that were watching in the window and everything. It was that was that was a bizarre night. Uh, been a lot of stuff happened at the Bohannon cabin. Uh, in fact, Jim Argo and I one night were at the back of the crowd because we were helping push people along to keep the crowd together. And Steve's up there and he's telling this story. And uh, so he gets to a point where. All of a sudden, he's he's lost track of what he's saying. It's like he's kind of just forgotten what he's talking about. And he stands there, and he's got his hands on the doorknob. And Jim and I are back there, and we're kind of laughing a little bit. We're we're going like he's he's got he's there he's messed up, and he's trying to get back or or something something's distracted him. And so Jim turned loose. I mean, uh, Steve turned loose of the doorknob, and he he steps back a minute and he says something about somebody don't want me to go in there so and by this time jim and i are almost snickering out loud well steve reaches up and grabs the doorknob and when he pulls the door open it appeared that somebody stuck their hands underneath his shoulders picked him up and set him back about three feet into the into the far north that'd be the northwest corner of the porch i mean it just moved him out of the way and the people that were standing out in front were going oh wow because it was they said it was like a cold air just come rushing out of the building 
and Steve refused to go in there. In fact, the rest of the tour, the rest of the ghost stories, I think. Yeah, yeah he, he refused to even go back in the building. He said, he said, I, I think my time's about done here. <laughs> from where Ken and I were standing, from where Ken and I were standing, it, for the life of me, it looked like he actually levitated and was thrown back against the railing. It, uh, you know, it's, it's not like he just jumped back. He literally came up and flew back. I yeah, don't know just like somebody picked him up and tossed him. But the tour was over. I'll say that. Yeah. It quit being funny. Yeah, I don't even think anybody wanted to go in the building after he after that. Uh, it's just been crazy stuff. Uh, and there's there's so many stories about the old building. Uh, there's one particular night where we had. Um, well, in fact, it was Steve Abolt and his wife. They were act, they were out here doing a reenactment of some type because they Steve was into the War of 1812, and I think that a bunch of them had come up here and they had put on a little deal. And Steve and his wife were going to stay in the cabin since he was the acting commanding officer. The other soldiers stayed in the barracks. Well, that night. Uh, it was cold. There'd come a light snow. It was beautiful. I mean, the park is beautiful out here when you get a light snow and the moon shining on it. And you can you can kind of see for a distance out. Well, Steve and his wife are asleep in there. Somewhere about two o'clock in the morning, she gets, she's, I guess she's getting cold. And she, you don't want to wake up to a cold house. So she goes downstairs. This is a little one room house with a about a five foot attic up there in a bed. Well, she comes down and she's going to put a, just another log in the in the wood stove. And after she puts it in and she stands up and turns around, she sees what appears to be a face kind of moving around the window on the outside looking in. And she's just kind of frozen. And in a minute, she, she said these, these, these eyes just look straight at her. And she heard this voice that says, you got a phone in there? And apparently uh, she had been with her husband. They were drinking and he'd stopped out here and kicked her out. And this was the only light she could see. So anyway, so they, they got her some help. That's good. Um, but there, there, there are a lot of stories. Uh, one night we had a group out here that, uh, of reenactors. Reenactors are here a lot. And they, they love this place because it, it is, it's away from traffic, it's away from everybody, so they, they really get comfortable and they can, they can put on their, their stuff. And so these, these folks are out here and, and uh, there's a couple officers and, and their wives and they're going to stay in the Bohannon cabin also. And, uh, but in the meantime, during the day and the evening, they've set the Bohannon cabin up as kind of a little tavern for the soldiers. They all meet and gather over there and drink a little bit and so forth. Well, somewhere about uh, midnight or something, uh, one of the guys said, okay, we need, to, we need to cut, shut this off now and everybody go to bed and so forth. And right after he said that, he said they had three lanterns lit. As soon as he said it's time to shut it down, all the lanterns went out. And everybody said, yeah, buddy, that's enough, we're going. So everybody left. And so the officers, the two officers and their wives sat there. And one of the women had some tarot cards. And yeah, I know, tinkering with stuff like that. Well, anyway, she had some tarot cards. And uh, so they sat there for a little bit and, and they did some reading and so forth. 
and uh, they said that there was a sound like a a crow out in a tree now this is this is about between midnight and two in the morning and it sounded like something in, in the tree it sounded like a crow and it just kept on and kept on and kept on and so the next morning uh, one of the guys come out and, and he was talking to one of the other soldiers or or something and and uh, he said he said i didn't sleep all night he said that bird kept me awake and he says that you talking about that crow and he says yeah he said that wasn't a crow he said that was a harbinger of death and he said that's he said when you start hearing stuff like that something bad has happened to somebody so they did a head count of all the personnel that they had out here everybody was fine but when they started when they left here and one uh, one of the couple, well, I guess several, but one of the couples went uh, back to the west on, on Highway uh, 199 out here. And when they got down here at Washita River at the bridge, uh, they had uh, they had fire department and folks down there. There had been a uh, gentleman, I guess, down there fishing and fell off in the river and they were looking for his body. So, you know, that's, kind of the stuff that happens out here certainly a lot seems to there is something that happened at the bridge started at the bridge and it, it's happened a couple times to different people uh, myself and and one of the other volunteers named Vicki uh, we were sitting at the back of the crowd probably about five feet away from the, the last group on the bridge and we're I'm just sitting on the rail of the bridge and uh, I felt like I was getting hit with little rocks just from behind. Well, there was nobody behind me because everybody was in front and there wasn't anybody. The only people coming down the hill, this was like the last tour that night, they were up the hill putting out the lanterns. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm getting pelted and I'm thinking this is, I don't know. I look over at Vicky and I keep thinking Vicky's throwing something. My Vicky ain't throwing nothing. But I didn't say anything to her. So we finished the tour on the bridge. We walked to the cemetery. Now at the cemetery, I kind of get away from everybody. By then my legs are starting to hurt, I'm 66. So I was leaning up against an oak tree right along the fence at the cemetery. And I'm sitting, I'm standing there and now I'm getting hit on the shoulders. Just two or three times, that was all. And I thought, well, it's probably acorns falling. So I didn't pay any attention to it. So we start up the hill. Now, uh, Vicki and I are still at the back and uh, the crowd's up ahead of us. They're probably 30 feet ahead of us. We're not walking too fast and they're not walking fast either by this time. So as we start up the hill, uh, I got hit. It felt like the palm of a hand just bumping me like this in the, in the back. and. I, I stop, I look over at Vicki, and she's wondering, she, I ask her later, she says, well, I wonder why you kept looking at me, funny. I thought she was doing something with a stick or something, nothing. So I scooted over a little bit, and we kept going, and I got hit a second time. This was hard enough that I actually started stumbling, and and Vicki said, are you all right? And I said, Vicki, this is... A, 
I'm ready to get out of here. This isn't. This is not a good deal. So we get up the hill. We do the Bohannon cabin. Vicky comes on up here to the office, and she's sitting, and she's talking to one of the ladies that volunteers in here, Marie. And so after this tour is over, I come up, and I'm and I'm talking to Marie, and I said, Marie, I said, I've had some I've had some issues tonight. I said I felt like I was being hit, and I got hit hard enough one time to almost knock me down. And I said I was getting hit the whole time we were on the bridge. She said, Have you talked to Vicky? And I said, No, I hadn't said nothing yet. And she said, you need to talk to her. She says, while she was sitting on a bridge, she was getting continually hit with little rocks and stuff. And I mean, when you get hard, when you get hit hard enough twice to once to once to bump you, and the next time to almost knock you down, uh, that's you know. And there's nobody back there. That's that's not your imagination. That's something's happening. Something's happening. Ken paused for a moment as he skimmed through his notes for more stories. Got a few more stories. One is about a pair of young boys. And uh, uh, they later become to, they, they later became reenactors out here. And these boys were out here at the fort and They've been out here all day. It was getting afternoon, and uh, they started. Uh, they were here for the rendezvous, and and they started hearing a voice, and it would. The voice was saying, "Come here," and they said it was from out just in the edge of the woods. And one of the boys thought it sounded familiar. Yeah, right down here behind the Bohannon cabin area, and so. Uh, you know, it sounded like somebody they knew that may have been in distress, and so they, they, they kind of went off down through the woods, kind of looking and and trying to find it, and they kept hearing, "Come here," and it would be a little bit farther each time when they would hear it, and so I mean they looked and they looked, but they were afraid to go any farther and they almost found that they were off in a place where they didn't recognize where they were at and so they did an about face and come back up and all the way back they kept hearing this voice come here come here and so they they never did like to venture after that they wouldn't go into the woods no more but they would still come out here and do do the do the reenacting and stuff and just little things like that the Bohannon cabin has got has got its own history. The Bohannon cabin was built by Captain Bohannon. He was a uh, army officer here, and he was building a house for his daughter who was fixing to get married. And it was located uh, not far from here, but a few miles away near the city of Durant that is now Durant. And it was just a this. It's like I said, it's just a little one room cabin, but it's got a little stairwell that goes up and there's a little bedroom up there. It's about five feet, the highest point in the, in the upstairs. And over the years, this house had been built around by different people, actually added on to, added on to, until it was completely enclosed. 
and then back i think it was in what somewhere in the 70s um uh, it was the folks that owned the house had sold it they uh, it was going to be dis destroyed and all this stuff now this is the the big house so when they when they were tearing it down they found that there was a complete house inside of this that this had been built around a log house inside of a house so when the when the history of the home was was had been done and researched and they found out that it actually belonged to an army officer here at the post that had been built for his daughter the the uh, historical society was able to get control of it and they moved it out here well over the years there's been stories about some of the families having sons that had been in trouble with the law and uh, this is this is going back probably into the 1800s early 1900s and that one of the sons didn't had a real history of uh, abuse toward females and he was not a good guy well we had a we had a group of reenactors out here and they had brought their wives and the wives were going to stay in the Bohannon cabin alone I think there might have been three or four of them and so during the night you know they were in their full costume so during the night they took off their corsets so they could sleep and if you know anything about corsets they've got like 18 feet of string in the back that you have to cinch up with your knees and so these ladies took off their corsets laid them down and went to sleep well then during the night this one lady kept feeling like she was being choked strangled and so the next morning when they got up uh, the first thing they did was start to put their clothes on and all the strings had been cut out of the cut out of the corsets there wasn't a piece much more than four or five inches long anywhere on the floor they'd just been cut up and then the lady started talking about feeling like she was strangled and so those ladies have never stayed in the cabin again certainly yeah. not a spirit you would want to meet i've actually got a, actually got a story from that the guy that came in here during the rendezvous about that story if they want to hear it go ahead this is an interesting one. Uh, if, if you've ever watched anything like Ghost Hunters or Taps or anything, uh, those guys will actually go and try and disprove um, any ghost story that actually happened. Well, what Jim said earlier is uh, we have um, a thing called Rendezvous every year, and we'll have several vendors come out and sell things and everything. And uh, one year, this one gentleman actually set up a tent, uh, probably not even 10, yard, 10 to 20 yards away from the Bohannon cabin, which Ken's been talking about. And that at that particular time, I was I was going around to every one of the vendors and striking up conversation. I had been doing the ghost stories for maybe a year, two years at this point when I talked to him. And he was an older gentleman, and uh, I went there and talked to him, kind of get a little bit of his background, uh, like, "Hey, sir, can I help you with this?" And then and the other. And we struck up a conversation, and uh, he just happened to mention that he had been filmed with, and I looked it up. He had been filmed with taps and uh, uh, um, um, a couple of other uh, groups that actually go and try and do ghost tour, like uh, like uh, look for ghosts things like that that kind of like what taps does and uh, I asked him well, how long have you been doing that he goes I've been on 200 different uh, 
200 different uh, version like uh, to go and, and record ghosts and pick them up and everything. He's like, well, you know about this place here, right? He goes, oh, yeah, I brought some of my equipment with me. I'm like, oh, excellent. Well, tell me what you find. And th that later that night, it was actually a little bit windy, but not too bad. And he had... Uh, he had got. He showed me his. He actually had a monitor that was a reader that was kind of like an EKG kind of thing. It was a. It, it measures for. I'm not sure exactly what it measured for, but I know that he said if you're near an electrical outlet or copper piping, that it will peak because it picks up an like current. He says so if it's near that, then I try. He does everything he can to disprove any of these things. Like okay, well you might want to start over at the Bohannon cabin. And so I gave him a little bit of history behind the Bohannon cabin, uh, like Ken has given you. And he goes, oh, interesting. I'm like, okay. So I come back the next day and ask him what happened. And he kind of goes, well, it was interesting. I'm like, well, what happened? And so he then relayed this story to me. He goes, uh, he goes after I got everything set up and it got nighttime, uh, I went over to the Bohannon cabin. No, actually, he, he came up actually here to the chaplain's office, which is just right up for the Bohannon cabin. He got, his, he got his equipment out, his meter, and he was taking rings around here. Well, the needle spiked because there's an electrical current around here. This has a facility with AC and lights and things like that. And so the needle actually peaked. Well, then he actually went away from here. And now the further you go down the hill, if you go past um, Jim's office, at that point, that's where that's the only electricity. That's the only place where you can actually find pipes and all that. If you go to the Bohannon cabin, there's nothing like that. There's no electricity in these things. Like you said, with a lot of these other places, you actually have, have lanterns and things like that. So there's no electrical current going down the hill at all. And so he goes back down the hill, and the needle slowly goes back away because he's backing away from uh, electrical currents and things like that. And he got to the Bohannon cabin and went all the way down. Well, by the time he actually went up next to the Bohannon cabin, the needle peaked again. So he walked around the Bohannon cabin, the needle was like way up. And so he's like, oh, okay. So he was looking for electrical outlet things like that. And there's like, he asked, I think, he asked a couple people around there, he goes, does this have, and he's like, no, there's no pipes, no nothing, and it's just a cabin sitting on its own. So he walked away from it, came back up here again where there was electricity, and it peaked, and so then he went and did the same thing. He walked back down to the Bohannon cabin, and it peaked again. And he goes, hmm, interesting. So he went over to his tent about 10 yards away, and he went inside. Now, these, um, these canvas tents are enclosed. There's only one way in for wind, and the thing is the wind was hitting the sides of his tent. He wasn't facing it toward the wind where the wind's blowing inside of his tent. So it's enclosed, and it's got, po it's got a middle post pitch to keep the tent up. When he goes back in the back, and there was a table near one of the posts in the middle of his tent. And he laid it right next, he laid his little meter right next to the post, and went back behind this little drop sheet where his bedding was to go get another piece of equipment, he told me. Because no sooner did he turn the corner than he heard a smack. Turn comes around the corner, and his little meter had smacked up against the post and shattered. So, come to say and think of that he was, well, maybe whatever is over there doesn't want me to be bugging around. So, it, it was kind of interesting to actually see and, and kind of hear about those things, especially someone that's trying to disprove all this actually having to happen. He goes, yeah, I'll be back here again with more equipment. So. Thank you all for taking the time to share your stories with us. Before we go, I'd like to ask, where can people go to learn more about the fort? Uh, you can check with the Chickasaw Nation website and go under the heading of Fort Washtaw, as well as uh, the Fort Washtaw uh, Facebook page. And uh, you can search, uh, just search Fort Washtaw Ghost Stories and you can pick up a lot of these on, on the internet.
The rain outside was still misting when we finished our interview session. The professor asked if we could get a quick tour of the grounds before we left, which they obliged. Sonny Hamilton and Michael Freeland drove us around on one of their utility vehicles, showing us the locations of the stops. I snapped some photos while the professor took notes. For the blacksmith shop, we stopped the vehicle and they let us look around inside. It was the first time Sonny and Michael had been there in a while, but everything seemed to be in place. They showed us the lanterns, the anvil, and the heavy door they mentioned earlier in the stories. After seeing all of the notable sights, they returned us to our cars. Before I left, I pulled out my phone to discover a message from Tanya, who we interviewed last year about El Reno. Hey Sam, this is Tanya. Uh, we interviewed last year about some of the stories with Haunted El Reno, and I have a new book that just released, Haunted Shawnee, and I was going to see if you would be interested in hearing some of those stories with that town. Give me a call and let me know. Bye. Tales and Build is a production of the Show Starts Now Studios and is produced by Dennis Spielman. The voice of Sam Saxton is Dennis Spielman. The voice of Professor Jeff DeRoot is Jeff Provine. We want to thank Lori Hamilton for setting up interviews with Jim Argo, Michael Freeland, Ken Golden, and Brianna Teal. The opinions and stories told are that of the individuals and do not reflect their employer, affiliates, and spirits mentioned. Join us on Patreon to help support Tales Unveiled while getting exclusive rewards. Visit talesunveiled.com to find out how to become a patron supporter. We would like to leave you in your blanket fort with this advice from Jesse Owens. Find the good. It's all around you. Find it, showcase it, and you'll start believing in it.